Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 252, brought to you by Hook'em.com and our good friends at Bud Light. Cedric Golden here with the Duck, Kirk Bowles, and Duck making history, making history on the podcast. Texas football coach Steve Sarkeesian joins us. Spring football starting March 22nd. Orange-white game, April 23rd. We're excited to chop it up with Steve Sarkeesian. How are you, coach? I'm doing great. It's uh Feels like it's been a minute since I've talked to anybody about what we're doing or how we're doing it or um, just kind of how winter's been going. So I'm doing really well. Well, good. Uh, football really doesn't have an off season in Austin, Texas, as you know. It's, it's just one long season with different parts to it. Uh, a lot of people, and I think I include Sed and myself in this, think you probably won the off season in college football. Maybe you and Jimbo Fisher right up there, top five recruiting class in the nation. You got some uh, four guys out of the transfer portal, some starters. Tell me, do you feel like you won the off season and this has just been a major, you know, two months of work? Well, I, I don't, I don't know. You know, we, we try to put the the year kind of into phases, I guess. And we kind of talked about this last year, I think uh, maybe even before training camp started, you know, and, and if you looked at this as kind of, phase one of, of kind of our year, right. Starting kind of in January. Um, and now we're, you know, we're just into the, about March, you know, this first couple months of the year, when you think about a, the recruiting aspect of it, B kind of the coaching changes that happen for everybody in, in around the country. And then, um, see, you know, kind of your own team and the winter conditioning aspect of it all. I feel like these first two months have gone really good for us. You know, um, you know, we've implemented quite a few mid-years of freshmen that have joined our team and, and finalized kind of that recruiting class to go along with some transfers um, that we touched on. Obviously, we, we had a couple different coaching changes on our current staff um, and adding to Shard Choice and Brennan Marion. And then kind of off the field, there's always turnover, whether it's analysts and different things. And obviously, most notably, getting Gary on board with us um, was big. So I think on a lot of levels, from the transfer perspective, from the recruiting class, um, from the the coaching staff, and then ultimately our, our own current team and what we've been doing in winter conditioning, uh, as as well as not only physically, but I think culturally, um, I feel a lot better this year on March 9th, probably than I did a year ago, quite frankly. Uh, Coach <laughs> Gary, Gary Patterson comes aboard, and, and that sent shockwaves through the Big 12 nation. Longhorn Nation celebrating. They'd, they'd much rather join him than try to beat him because they have problems with him. Uh, your defense uh, was ranked 100th nationally. 
He comes in, he's a Hall of Fame coach, and he's a defensive genius. Uh, how did that come about, and how did you get Gary Patterson to sign yeah. on? To- yeah, you know, I uh, – you know, early in my career, nobody was doing this, right? Nobody was hiring head coaches um, in, right. non, in non-coaching position roles, right? And I don't even know exactly who the first one that kind of did it but I was fortunate enough in 2016 to do it with Nick Saban. And at that time, Mike Loxley was also on that staff with me. And then as I came back to Alabama in, I guess that was, you know, 2019 and 2020, we had Butch Jones on that staff as an analyst. We had major Apple, major Applewhite had just come from Houston we had Mike Stoops was on board having, I know he wasn't just previously a head coach, but had been a head coach at Arizona. Charlie Strong was actually there for right. a season as an analyst. Um, and so I think that trend started to pick up. So I, that was always kind of on my mind. And you never just want to hire anybody. You want to try to hire people that you think can be um, advantageous for your program. And clearly with Gary, I had a great deal of respect for him. And I'd always watched him from afar. Uh, I had never got a chance to really compete against him um, until this past season. And, you know, you know, obviously they had been kind of riddled by the injury bug and different things, but they just their style of play. Uh, I think the way that uh, he recruited to, to that roster for over 20 years uh, and his ability to identify players that maybe – didn't play the position in high school that they were projected to play in college. I thought was a real niche that he had uh, in recruiting clearly the ties in the state of Texas in, in just the history that he had here to the high school coaches. Um, And then obviously just the defensive mind. So I think a lot of things added up for me. So I just reached out, you know, and and we started having a lot of dialogue um, because I wanted to make sure that we didn't just jump right into it. And then, he wasn't comfortable maybe once it got started and then, or I wasn't comfortable or our staff wasn't comfortable. So um, we had a lot of dialogue over the phone. Uh, He came in and visited for a day and had a chance to visit with me for, for hours. Um, And then we just felt like, okay, this, this is going to be a good fit. What he's looking for, what we're looking for is going to be a good fit. And I, and quite frankly, uh, it's been awesome. You know, Gary is a, He's got a great personality about him. Um, I think so much of coaching, we get portrayed by TV and press conferences of what our personality is. And then you really get to know somebody behind closed doors. He's got an awesome personality. Uh, he really, you know, is just kind of gets along with everybody, whether it's the players, staff, um, staff within the building. Um and I think he's been a great sounding board, not only for me on some different topics and different things, um, but I think our defensive staff. And so inevitably, so far, so good. And I think that um, I think he's in a good place with it, too, knowing that, you know, he's still around ball. He's still involved, but he doesn't have to deal with all the crap that I have to deal with. every day. <laughs> so uh, it's good for him. And it's probably good for his wife, too, right now. Well, I've, uh, I've got a bet. Which with uh, Chris Del Conte, and I'm just going to put it out there. I bet CDC a month ago. He he says that Gary Patterson will never coach again. I bet him that Gary Patterson's probably going to coach again. Um, this is a great 
time for him to take a breath, you know, as he transitions. Uh, you're a coach, and that feeling never goes away when you're not coaching. Do you think he's done as a head coach? I don't know. Um, I don't think me, my personal, like, I don't want to call it an evaluation, but observation of him, I don't think he's done, like, physically, mentally, emotionally. But that's that's a that's a question for him, right, mm-hmm. guy? Well, I think he can be a head coach again. No question. Of course. Of course. You know, I, um, he's got a bright mind. He, like I said, he relates really well to the players, to the staff. Um, he's energized. He comes in every day with a great attitude and upbeat and positive. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things add up to there's, you know, of course he could. Now, now, obviously we all hit a brink of all of our professions where we decide, you know, is it time to move in another direction? Mm-hmm. Is it time to go play golf? Uh, is it time to go sit on a beach? Right. I mean, we, we all kind of have that choice to make. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, I just know that we're fortunate in 2022 that, that he gets to be part of our staff and our organization, how long that goes for, for him, for us, we obviously would love to have him, but like I said, I did it for a year. Some guys do it for a couple of years and want to get back into it. Um, and some guys like the role, some guys like the role of kind of being around football, talking football, being around the players. Um, but maybe not having to deal with all of the stresses that this, that this profession, you know, provides us <laughs> quite frankly. So I don't know, but I think, is he capable? No question. Okay. Steve, wait until the fourth question asked you about quarterback. That's, yeah. <laughs> that may be a record. So, uh, as, how do you rank Quinn Ewer's arm? A lot of people think, well, it's his job. And do you worry Hudson card could, could leave, uh, with, you know, Quinn Ewers and now Malik Murphy on campus. Um, there's, that's, there's a lot in that. I got yeah. a lot in that question. <laughs> but uh, I would say, first of all, you know, Hudson Card going into year three, year two in our system, mm-hmm. uh, got some invaluable experience a year ago, having played, having gotten a start here in DKR, having got a start in probably the most hostile environment we played in all year last year, right? Um, having to come in on the road at West Virginia late in the year, like just, he got some really cool experience that mm-hmm. I think so much in our day and age of college football right now. Um, and a lot of this, I think somewhat stems from recruiting rankings and social media. Everybody wants instant gratification. Sure. And you know, I always, and again, I, I hate to always reference this story, but, but, you know, Mac Jones, he didn't become the full-time starter at Alabama until year four, right? You know, year three, he was a backup for Tua and then had to become the starter and got a couple starts against a Western Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, a, a not the same Arkansas team, and then ends up losing at Auburn and then wins his bowl game and then becomes the starter. So I, I'm, I'm hesitant for everybody out there to say, to, to write Hudson card off. Like this guy's got some invaluable experience. He's in year two of our system. He's working his tail off and, and I'm excited to see what he can do. That being said, we brought in two really talented players, which we're going to do every year, right. At every position that, that really good programs continue to build their roster at every position and quarterback is no different. We've obviously brought in Quinn Ewers and you can, you can call it a transfer or you can call him a freshman, right? I mean, he, he, right. he, 
he you know, reclassifies and goes to Ohio State for three months or four months and then comes to, to UT, when in reality, this is when he should have enrolled in college. So essentially, to some capacity, he still is a true freshman. And mm-hmm. then Malik Murphy's here who just won a state championship and is enrolled early. Um, obviously, he's nursing uh, a leg injury, but we've got a pretty good room going right now. Are we a little young? Yeah, maybe we don't have the experience that we would like to have, but we're very talented at the position. And then you guys know as much as me, you've seen Hudson Card throw the ball. Like that guy can throw the ball. Quinn Ewers has gifted arm talent. Malik Murphy, gifted arm talent. You know, I mean, I think if Malik and, and Quinn went out and did a you know longest, longest, you know, who can throw at the furthest competition – both of them yeah. are probably going to be 75 yards, maybe plus. I mean, that's oh, the wow. talent those two guys have. So we've got a good room. Now it's our job to develop them, um, to train them, to put them in position to have success. Um, but I'm in no rush here to say this guy's going to be the guy. That guy's not going to be the guy because development at that position is very unique. And, you know, like I said, I've been fortunate in my past to have coached some pretty good guys and developed some pretty good players. And, um, I've had some decent success. And I think, we, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of quarterback rooms before, and I've looked at some that have not looked nearly as good as that the one that we have right now. Now, myself, Coach Milwee, our offensive staff, we've got to do a really good job developing those guys and see how far we can take them. Well, I know the offseason, uh, you're an analytical thinker, and uh, we, we like chopping it up with you because you, you break it down into simple ter- terms for people who aren't as expertly – knowledgeable of football to understand uh, you guys led five of your seven losses. You led those games and a couple were double digit leads. Um, when you reflect upon what happened last season and, and, and what, what can't happen again, you don't want bad history to repeat itself. What are some of the, what are some of the uh, areas that uh, you're going to be honing in all this spring yeah. with your guys? I think, I think the first thing is, and I'm going to, I'm going to go back to that. I think the first thing that excites me, first of all, is I went back to look at our season that our team prepared really well for us to go out and execute the game plan. Right. And to 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 do it at a high level and to get those leads and double digit fourth quarter leads to- tells me, hey, you know what? We, we came to work every day and we, we bought into the game plan and we went out each week and tried to execute the plan uh, to the best of our ability. That was the first part that I was like, okay, we've got something here that we've got some things here that we, that we can really work with on the flip side of that. I think there's a few things in there. One from a mentality standpoint, um, a, a psyche standpoint, which we talked a lot about last season in season and that, you know, football is a lot like life, you know, we're, we're going to get faced with adversity. Things are going to come across our plate that, we didn't anticipate one way or the other. It could be a missed tackle. It could be a drop pass. Uh, it could be an injury. Things happen. Um, that's not the end of the world, right? We don't, we don't cash in life when those things happen to us. We, we find the mental fortitude to, to fight through and the perseverance to fight through and to kind of weather the storm and to stay strong and then continue to build. And I think that was an area last year we weren't very good at. Uh, when things late in games kind of didn't go our way, uh, we had a tendency not to respond great. And that falls upon me as a coach. Uh, that falls upon um, just kind of our approach and, and how we do things throughout the offseason to try to strengthen ourselves, 
not only just like mentally, psyche-wise, but also physically to make sure that we're strong in the fourth quarter. And I think that that's been a big emphasis of ours the last eight weeks of winter conditioning. Um, Our off-season program has been harder this year than it was a year ago. I think we were teaching a lot last year. Uh, But in the end, we're better this year than we were a year ago, too. Uh, And I think that comes down to a lot of accountability from peer to peer, from teammate to teammate, uh, to where um, teammates are holding each other accountable more now than ever, as opposed to waiting for the coaches to hold the player accountable for not doing something that could that could hurt us late in a ball game. And so um, in the end, that's going to remain the same throughout spring practice. Uh, Obviously, spring ball, there's a lot of teaching going on, but we need to make sure Uh, late in our practices that those are the most difficult portions of our practice uh, and that we hold each other accountable to do what's right, because that's what gets you beat. And I think that ultimately is what hurt us last year was these errors late in the game uh, because our mind was clouded by something that maybe had occurred a series or two earlier. And so we've got to clean that up. You know, you talked about, you know, football being a lot like life. Also, the analogy is football is one up front. And to that end, you bring in 15 offensive and defensive linemen, a couple five stars. Uh, Do you feel like you answered that need going forward? And where are y'all? Do you you like where you are up front on both ends of the ball? Yeah, I feel really good about it. Clearly, that was an emphasis of ours. Uh, And I don't know if anybody else in the country signed 15 O&D linemen combined. Uh, right. in their recruiting class. But I believe that you, you, you have to have big people, but not just big, they have to be talented. Um, and we exhausted ourselves, A, in the evaluation process of that, um, B, um, in the recruiting aspect of it. We didn't want to settle. Uh, I can recall a press conference a year ago, somebody asked me, was I concerned about that we only had two offensive linemen committed? And it might've been in October, November, quite frankly. And I said, well, not really, because I could go get three guys to commit tonight, but they're not going to be good enough. Right. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to keep fighting for the best players. And I think that we, that we did do that. Like anything, I think, especially on the offensive line, it's probably one of the more difficult positions uh, outside of maybe quarterback for a young player to come in and really contribute. I'm not saying that we can't coach flood and I have all, we both coached true freshmen playing on the offensive line um, and coach Davis and coach Kwiatkowski have coached true freshmen on the defensive line. So there's 15 of these guys, right? Right. Hopefully, hopefully a handful of them are real contributors for us this fall. The other 10 or so, those are the really cool developmental developmental players that that's how you really start to build your program for the future. Um, because the think to think that we're just going to rely on all freshmen that are going to come in here and, and win us a championship, that's probably not very realistic, but over time, as we build our program, uh, that, that is where you win the football games, you win up front. Um, and I think that we addressed it, but it's not going to be a one hit wonder for us. We have to continue to address that year in and year out. You got some good leaders coming back. Uh, Marvion Overshawn is back snacks Coburn. Uh, my favorite leader on your team, Roshan Johnson, uh, Deshaun Jamison, Junior Angelow, those guys, uh, this is it for them. And, and if ever there was a time to take ownership of that locker room, it's now. What are you seeing from those guys in the offseason? And um, 
How do you feel about that uh, leadership role from your seniors? I feel good. You know, the, the other name in there I would throw in there is Ovi. Ovi is a, you know, a guy who transferred from Notre Dame a year ago um, and, and contributed and had some flashy moments for us, but he's just got a great mentality about him. He's an awesome teammate. Um, and he kind of falls in line with a lot of the same characteristics of, of the guys you're talking about. And I think that, um, you know, one thing for the seniors this year, I think they saw how last year's season went for last year's seniors. And, you know, we talked at length about that going into the Kansas State game and even coming out of it that, you know, what were we playing for, right? Just trying to get our fifth win at home. But we were playing for those seniors who had this all the same gut-wrenching losses that we all had that last season. They had them times two because that was that, that was it. their last that's shot. That's it for right? them, yeah. Yeah, that, that was their last shot. And I think everybody felt that for them, and I think that's why everybody wanted that last game. Um, so much, even as maybe as depleted as we were. And so I think those guys have never lost that, that, that aspect of, you know, yes, we want to win in September, October, November, December, January to do that. We have to win in January, February, March, April, May, June. Right. And those guys have led the charge in, in the off season conditioning program. I give them a lot of credit. How many, uh, how many of your freshmen have already enrolled this semester, Steve? Oh man, off the top of my head, I want to say 13. About um, half the class. Yeah, it, roughly. Uh, I, I can almost rattle them off and then you can count them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, won't, we, we won't make you do that, but uh, you got a good chunk of them, though. Yeah, no, we do. You know, so Cole Hudson's here on the offensive line. Uh, right. It's a great addition. Jaden Blue's here um, at, uh, at running back. Obviously, we have Malik Murphy. And Quinn doesn't count as a true freshman, but but he's here. Right. Um, we've got uh, Justice Finkley is here now uh, up front on defense. Jeray Bledsoe's here now up front on defense. Aaron Bryant is here now um, up front on the defensive line. We've got Jaden uh, Gilbo's here at, uh, at at corner. He's here now. Mm -hmm. uh, Terrence Brooks is here now at the corner position. B.J. Allen's here at the safety position. Larry Turner Gooden's here at the safety position. Um, I may be missing somebody in all this, yep. but to go along with the transfers, right? Ryan Watts is here. Jaleel Billingsley's here. Uh, Isaiah Nair's here. Uh, so we've got a nice nucleus of, of, of new faces that are yeah. participating now um, that have integrated well. And I give, the, I give the, the current players, the guys returning, a lot of credit for integrating those guys into our team quickly um, mm -hmm. because we've been really preaching culture and team here hard for the last two months. The only way that that works is if the team buys into that and that the, the leaders on the team buy into that, and they, and they really have. Good. Gosh, we, we just devastated last year. I mean, you know, you're a proud guy. You're a football lifer, and you've had success, and you've been to the mountaintop. But just emotionally, you know, going five and seven, does that just tear you up? Yeah, it's tough. That's tough. As a competitor, right? Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, I've said this a lot. The, the life of a competitor is tough because, you know, when you're a competitor, you either win or you lose. You know, mm -hmm. we, we don't go through life finding that middle ground where that, that safe ground. You, you have to you have to either you make the jump or you don't. Right. You right. play the game, either win or you don't. And, you know, as the competitor in me was was it was hard because I knew what we were doing. I knew the work we were putting in 
And the fact that we couldn't get over the hump in those fourth quarters of so many of those games was, mm-hmm. you know, just racking my brain. But I also felt like, man, I, I had to stay so consistent with our team um, to keep them upbeat and to keep them positive. And I think that that season last year, regardless of the record, that season last year could have really been tumultuous even more than it was. Yeah. If, I, if, if, if I wasn't as consistent and as stable uh, with where I was. And I couldn't have been more proud, quite honestly, of us winning the last game with really kind of a half of a quarterback in Casey who would kind of barely made it into the game coming out of the couldn't finish the West Virginia game and Roshan Johnson playing wildcat quarterback and no Bijan and no DeMarvion and just finding a way to win um, as the competitor, man, that, 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 that you just find those small victories and then you go back and look at the season and I watch the cutups and I watch the games and yeah, I'm pulling my hair out and I'm getting more and more gray. So I cut my hair shorter and shorter. <laughs> but, just let it go. Be like Seth Dolan. Just let it go, coach. Let it go. The is, sure. You know, I look back at it now and I'm like, gosh, two plays here, you know, one yeah. play there. And, and all of all those games change in so many ways that that season could have been such a different story. Oh, yeah. But, but that was the story that it was. Yes. And so now, what do we do about it, right? And you you can't play the what if game, the shoulda, coulda, woulda. You you go back and you say, okay, how are we going to be better next time around? And that's been our focus, you know, this off season, and it'll be our focus in spring and summer, and and then ultimately in fall camp. March twenty second, spring football gets started. You guys are in that south end zone, full time. Everything's done. I mean. This time last year, you were doing a lot of shuffling. You take a new job and your your temporary locker rooms and everything was kind of all over the place. Everything's in place now. It should be easier, right? I was joking with the team the other morning. I said, do you guys remember a year ago at the time we were having a team meeting up on the eighth floor of the north end zone and they were sitting in card table chairs and I had a prop up screen with a massive bar behind me. Like that, that was our, that was our setup for a team meeting coming out of an ice storm where there were pipes frozen and leaking. And it was just such a different, you know, environment. And we were fighting COVID. We got one spring, one spring practice in and we get hit with COVID and we got to, we got to wait 10 days. And so, yeah, we dealt with a lot of adversity. Um, And so the biggest thing that has come out of this year and now being in the South end zone is we really can be a team. We're really connected. The coaches, the, the players, the players don't run out of here and leave because they want to get out of the visitor's locker room. They're in our locker room. They're in our players lounge. They're, home. they're, in, they're in our training room, our, our weight room. We can actually use, which is down the hall from, from the, from the, from the locker room, instead of being in the North end zone and lifting in the rec center behind the South end zone, and I mean, there were so many things a year ago as a new staff, it was just hard to connect. And that's not an excuse. That's just the reality of the situation. And so this year, there's such just a better connection, which is you guys know me well enough now. I'm a relationship-based guy. I love the connection. I love the interaction. I, 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 I get a chance now. I probably meet with anywhere between three to five players every day, just personally, individually, and I, I, that aspect of it, I, I wouldn't trade this for, for anything. 
Yeah, you were you're like an expansion franchise last year almost in some respects. Uh, well, I think I would have taken the trailers from an expansion. <laughs> Very nice, yeah. yes. The last question I had for you, Steve, is that uh, I know everybody's looking forward to that Louisiana Monroe opener on uh, September 3rd. I think there's a, another opponent the next week that has gotten people's attention. Uh, Jimbo Fisher all but called out Nick Saban last year and said, yeah, he's going to beat him eventually. And uh, – end up doing it. So uh, you want to call out Nick and call your shot <laughs> against Alabama week two? I'll, re- I'll refrain from that. I, I will say this. Smart man. Smart I'll, man. I'll, re- I'll, I'll, I will say this. I have a great deal of respect for the Alabama football program. I know those kids. I recruited a lot of those kids. I coached a lot of those kids. I worked with a lot of those coaches. I obviously worked for Coach Saban for three years. The way they go about their business, the way they approach things, Obviously, great deal of respect. Um, we've tried to emulate some of those things here. You can't try to do them all because I'm not Nick Saban, right? You have to be you and, and what you're about. Um, but I will say, you know, we're going we're gonna to give them our best shot and, and we're going to play good football and we're going to prepare and our guys will be ready to play. And it's going to be a great environment here at DKR. And, um, you know, I think that moving forward, as we transition ourselves into the SEC, Hopefully that becomes a, a really cool rivalry that that people look forward to year in and year out and not just a, a one-time shot. Can you get send me a couple extra tickets? I think we need to – we'll be hit up a, a lot in the next six months. No, no I think we all are, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve Sarkeesian, thank you so much for joining us. Spring football March 22nd. April 23rd is the Orange-White game and the season opener September 3rd against – Louisiana Monroe. Coach, it's been a pleasure. We appreciate you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. Thank you, Steve. Take care. On Second Thought. Duck, what did you think about Steve Sarkeesian unplugged? It was good to to talk to Sark. It's been a minute. He was, he seemed very relaxed. I was surprised. I'm not surprised, but uh, just very calm. Of course, Mac was a delight. In the, in the spring. In the yes. spring. As soon as that calendar turned to August, we saw a different Mac. We got Surly Mac. We got we got oh you're out to get us, Mac. Uh, we're not out to get you, Mac. But you he just... was fine. Steve was fine. He answered all our questions. He was very direct and didn't shy away. He was emotionally devastated after the five and seven season. Who wouldn't be? That's and you know what? And 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 Credit to Steve Sarkeesian coming right in after a workout with Tori Beckton. <laughs> Chop it up with us. He could have taken a shower, but no, he came in dripping wet, <laughs> sat down and, 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 and gave us gold. And uh, hopefully we can do that again during the season. It's always a lot tougher during the season to get yeah. a head football coach to do the podcast, but uh, much thanks to him. Let's switch gears, Duck. Uh, March Madness is upon us. Here. Big 12 tournament starting today. The Texas men play TCU at 1130. Hopefully you're listening early. If you're not listening early, this the game could already be over. That's your problem because we're <laughs> up this morning. We're up. We're posted this morning. The, the uh, women will play Kansas State at 730 p.m. Friday in their first game. Uh, more on that later. Let's start with the men. They've dropped four of their last seven, Duck, and it's all about shot making with this team. 
when they make shots, they win games. When they don't make shots, they don't win games. I am so worried about this group going into the NCAAs unless they get hot in Kansas City and show us that they can knock down three-pointers on a consistent basis. Uh, I, I just don't know how I'm going how far I'm going to have them going in my bracket. Definitely not past the Sweet 16. Yeah, you're right. They haven't been able to shoot really all year, so we shouldn't be surprised that uh, they're not really good shooters now. They they don't get easy buckets. You know, they get mired in that half-court thing and dribble like crazy and just, you know, they can't get around their guy. You know, you can't drive into the lane and get – they just don't get easy shots, and they don't hit wide-open shots, you know, Uh I really think I wrote this a week ago. Said, don't you feel like if they're going to win games, they've got to hit probably a minimum of seven or eight trays in that game, and they've got to get some big time scoring out of AJ and Timmy Allen. I would think that would be the prerequisite. Do you, would you argue either one of those? No, I wouldn't. Um, I think you said that about a lot of teams. If Texas makes eight threes, I'm picking them to win a game. I just am because I know the defense is going to be there. The defense has been really solid. Uh, they, 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 they get after defender. They get after players on the ball. But the big barometer to me is Timmy Allen. When Timmy Allen does, and, and, and Andrew, those two guys, when they don't show up, Texas yeah. gets beat. They get beat. Those two. Those two. Especially Timmy. And Timmy hasn't, hasn't always shown up in big-time moments. And so um, – as much as I like him as a player, he has problems, and as do his teammates. They do not have blow-by guys. No. They don't have a guy that you can clear a side out and then he can just go by somebody and get a foul or finish at the bucket. They don't have that guy. No. And if I and if and if you're a Texas fan, you know I'm I'm telling the truth here. When that shot clock gets down under 10 seconds, Ooh. that's bad news for them because it's they don't crazy. have the improvisation improvisational guys that can make things happen when that clock is ticking down. They need to, they need to get offense going early in that shot clock. Uh, they don't get transitional buckets stuck. No, it's gotta they be off. Of steel. It's gotta be off of steel, but if it's off a rebound, forget it. They're probably not going to, they're going to be mired in that half court thing. And you're right. They, they've got to start it earlier because how many times do we look up and it's five seconds, four seconds? And, and Marcus Carr is dribbling around. Oh and he's God. Just like, I was God like, crazy. It is just, it's the same. It's insanity. It's just not a pretty brand of ball when they're trying to get off a shot with five seconds to go on the shot clock. Um, I really think they miss Trey Mitchell, Duck. He was a guy yeah. they could dump it into, and he had a bag of tricks underneath where he had a couple, he had the jump hook. He could shoot a little mid-range jumper. They right. kind of missed that. And he was long and, and, and could help out on the boards. Christian Bishop has held up his end. Yeah. I, like, I like Christian. I like, I like the energy he brings. Uh, Dylan DeSue has not. And Dylan Bishop had some toughness, too, down in the lane. Yeah, he's a I tough like guy. Too, but, but you're right. I mean, it's Timmy and A.J. And if it's not A.J., it better be Courtney Ramey with 18 like he had against Kansas uh, last week, and that wasn't enough because, you know, Timmy and Marcus didn't really show up. Marcus just – I just don't know what you're going to get from Marcus, you know, especially in the first half. He's a second-half kind of player, and he can go invisible for long stretches 
the time. He really I'm going to tell you where he's struggling. He's struggling because uh, at at uh, he was at Minnesota, right? At Minnesota, yeah. right? He was a volume shooter. Yes. He could shoot it 25 times a game. Yeah. Right. And you know what? If you shoot it 25 times a game, probably going to average 18 to 20. Sure. You're not. He's that's not his role here. He's a table setter. He's a mm-hmm. he's 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 a point guard who's not really a point guard. And no. he's been commissioned to set the table here and get people involved. And that's just not his strength. His strength no. is getting his. His strength is, 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 is making shots for himself, not setting up Andrew Jones, not setting up Courtney or Jace for a three, not dumping it inside to Christian Bishop or getting Timmy Allen isolations. Uh, Mar- Marcus is not a point guard. And I think that's kind of hurt this team. Devin Askew is more of a point guard than Marcus, but he's not as good a player overall. Yeah. So his limits are you can't you can't give him big minutes. And you know you saw what happened once Marcus got in foul trouble uh, in the last game. Uh, De- Devin came in, came in and played extended minutes, but but the bottom line wasn't what Chris Beard wanted. He he plays hard and a pretty good defender, but he he's a reluctant shooter. You know, he doesn't want to shoot. And you're right, they don't really have a point guard. You know, I just always wondered if Courtney Ramey should should be the point guard. Remember when he filled in for when Matt Coleman was had that foot injury for you know extended stretch. Remember, they won like six out of seven two years ago and they were they had it rolling. And uh I'm not so sure, you know, that's not a better lineup, but but they don't get easy shots. They're not a big team, they rebound pretty well. But they're not a big team. They don't have great size. They, they, you know, and you don't shoot well. I mean, their guard, their guard, their guards can be overpowered. Yeah, uh, we saw it this season. A team like Baylor, a team like Texas Tech, and a team like Kansas. Right, bigger guards, longer length. Everybody on Tech's team is six five, six six, six seven, mm-hmm. and Texas has problems. Uh, those guards have problems creating mm-hmm. offense against bigger guys, and. Um, you can't coach size. You can't coach size. Uh, no. If they had Matt Coleman running the show this year, I'd like him, even no. though Matt Coleman's a little guy. Yeah. Uh, Matt Coleman was a shot maker, and um, I, they just don't have that this year. I like them better. They're better defensively, I think. Yeah, um, you know, the nation and yeah, much better defensively, but they don't make enough shots. Um, whatever the matchup is, I'm sure I will favor them to. You know they're going to be a six. You think it'd be a six or a, well, maybe a, a five, five, a five or a six? They could, they could win a game or two in Kansas City. I think they could get to be a five if they're not already. They're, I was looking their net ranking sixteenth. That's great. You know, that's pretty good. That would make them a four, wouldn't it? Uh, I was looking at their their quad one. They're five and nine in quad one wins. They're five and one in quad two wins. Uh, but they're nine and zero oh in quad four, so they beat up on the little sisters of the poor. It's better than uh, losing to them, yeah. It is. When I look at you, look at Gonzaga. They're thirteen and zero oh against quad four teams, but they got ten quad one wins. When they do play the elite, they beat them. When Texas plays the elite, they play hard but don't beat them, which is why they got swept by Tech, got swept by Baylor, and split with Kansas. So. They're not going to beat elite teams. They've got to play their A game to have any chance against really good teams. Now, 
if you got to, you know, they ought to win their first game. I think because of their defense, although with a lot of these new players, they don't have much NCAA tournament experience, if any. I'm not sure if any of them have played in the NCAA tournament other than the the holdovers from Shaka's staff. Yeah. And that yeah. Could hurt. It, they did kind of tighten up. And I, I do, I do, I do like the fact that they got the experience. They they got Andrew Jones and 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 Brock Cunningham and Jays and and Courtney. Those guys know what these NCAA streets are about. They've been they've been in tournaments, so I'm not worried about the experience part. Uh, but I but I am worried about shot making. That's my number one concern with this team. They don't make shots; they can lose anybody. Well, those four guys have played in tournaments, but they haven't won in tournaments. That's the thing. Exactly. Lou Christian, losing. Remember, you were at Nevada, right, when they lost in the first round? Was that Nashville? Where was that? That was Nashville. That was the weekend Augie passed. Yeah. That was the first round they lost. So, I don't know. It, it, I wonder if this is a team that might pucker up a little bit. Uh, under pucker, the- pucker, pucker, pucker. I, I hope not. I hope not. not. I- They're good enough to get get to the sweet 16. I don't know if they'll do that. Anything beyond that would be gravy. What about the women? They open up against K-State 7:30 Friday. Unlike the men, the women on a little bit of a road. They're hot dogs. Straight wins for Vic Schaefer, but before we talk about that, let's talk about the travesty that was the all Big 12 women's team. Yeah. I'm sorry, Doug. Let's First of it. all, but uh, putting the ball on the men, I thought Courtney Ramey should have been all defensive Big 12. He wasn't. Yeah. After yeah. how he performed against, um, you know, Oshai Obaji both times. But that, that's, you know, not nearly as egregious as Rory Harmon not being on a 10-person all-Big 12 first team for the women. Ridiculous. That's nuts. Seventh best team in the country doesn't have a top 10 player in the Big 12. Is that what they're trying to tell us, Doug? And why isn't she defensive player of the year? She got 77 steals. 77. The next highest in the Big 12 is 60. Well, the Iowa State girl had 20, so she made defense player of the year. Oh, no, okay. well, she had 20. Not only that, one thing I have uh, problems with a 10 person team. I, I've yet to see a 10 person basketball team on the court at the same time. You know, just pick the top five. And if you want to add a fourth team, be my guest. Add a Fourth team, all Big 12, which really don't. But, you know, name five. Iowa State had three players on the first team. Three, and Texas swept them. I mean, I, I, I agree. I agree with Ashley Jones. She's a yeah. stud. She is a stud. Um, her teammate, Emily Emily Warren, Emily Ryan. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Lenarski? Yeah. No. No. no I don't, Sorry. I don't. I Sorry, don't I don't get it. I don't know that she could start at Texas. So mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Rory Harmon is one of the 10 best players in the Big 12, mm-hmm. arguably one of the five best Definitely. in the Big 12. She led the league in steals. Yep. She averaged she had 10 and a half points, <laughs> nearly five assists, and nearly five rebounds as yeah. a small guard. And she was money all season long, ran the offense capably, as a freshman, she is a star in the making. She's a star. She's already the best point guard in, in, in the Big 12, but, but she wasn't warranted a spot on that first team, that 10-player first team, I'll say. I believe, Duck, 
and I know he don't want to talk about it. I believe it, it was a I, I believe it was a shock from the Big 12 coaches at Vic Schaefer. I do. I believe it was a shot at Vic. I think that Vic Schaefer is not the most popular coach in the Big 12. He's rankled some feathers. He came in from Mississippi State uh, with a lot of bluster. And why not? He played in, in a couple of championship games. Um, he'd gotten into it with Christy Gerlich, the Texas Tech coach, highly publicized twice, two confrontations, one in Austin, one in Lubbock. And I just believe that there is there they are holding it against Vic Schaefer, and they use some of them, not all of them, some of them use their votes because anybody who knows basketball knows Rory Harmon is a top five talent in this league. A blind person would know Rory Harmon's all Big 12 player. And, you know, it may be against Vic, uh, a statement against Vic and any popularity or lack thereof. Uh, and, you know, some some coaches think women should be coaching women. And so there's that out there, too. And it's not to be ignored that. that I've been told, Duck, I've been told that that's that that some brackets. There's, there was political pressure back in the past to make sure that you didn't have too many men possibly facing off in the final four where they made, where they made, where they made it. The selection committee may have made it to where, where these men would meet in a regional final where only one would make it to the final four men coach teams. Uh, I don't put anything past the NCAA, but this is a big 12 issue. But for me, I just, well, I hate it. I hate it for Rory. I hate it for Rory. Uh, say what you will about um, uh, Joanne Allen Taylor or, or Aliyah Matharu, but other the other double digit scores. Uh, if you leave one of them off, okay, okay. But Rory Harmon made that engine go, and I hate it for her because I think she earned the right. Uh, if well, she's not, if she's not on a five player All Big Twelve team, my argument is not as strong. But a ten player one. Duck. That's egregious. And, and it, it's probably a good thing now because uh, Vic and Roy are going to use that as, as fuel uh, in the tank at the Big 12 tournament. Uh, they're, the they're, other thing, too, is, is something, something that's not to be uh, uh, overlooked is Texas is the bad guy. They're the villains. You know, they in Oklahoma headed to the FCC, so don't leave that out either. So they're all kind of conspiracy theories. Just grab the one. Uh, of your preference. I think they're all possible here, but you know Vic's going to use that as incentive. Uh, he has to, women. Duck. He has oh. to. And unlike the men, I see this this Texas women's team as a Sweet 16 minimum. I, I see them too. I see them possibly getting back to the Elite Eight, perhaps even farther, because they do have shot makers on the team. They have they have, they're not great. They're not a great three point shooting team. No, but they have some shot makers, and they and unlike Texas, they have guards that can like Rory Harmon that can get past right. defenders and get into the paint. Uh, the big girls play a play a uh, secondary role. They're complementary. Uh, Lauren Ebo, um, uh, Deanna Gaston, and uh, Aaliyah Moore. They play complementary roles, but they know their position. So. I think this is more of a 
more more of a complete team than the men, and I think the women have a really good chance to go far in the tournament. And you haven't talked about their defense yet. They force turnovers like crazy, and they get offense out of their defense, and they can score easily. And, you know, I don't know what it is. I was talking to Vic Schaefer this week, and he said the last five games, I think their average margin of victory has been 16. So they are they are on a red hot mission and they're on fire right now. And if they're motivated a little bit by some being spurned from these uh, all conference honors, you add that to it. So I think it's setting up well. Uh, I talked to Vic about uh, right now Texas is looking like a three seed mm-hmm. uh, with possibly getting to a two seed. Iowa State, whom they've already beaten twice, is a two seed. And I think they would play them in the second round if, if both win. So, boy, three Iowa State players on the All-Big 12 team. Iowa State is a two-seed that Texas wants. I'll call it right now. I think Texas would beat Iowa State in the game, uh, second-round game, and uh, maybe steal that number two seed from Iowa State, maybe. Yeah, and it, and it should be mentioned that, that Ashley Jones and her sister missed that game in a where Texas blew them out because of COVID protocols so uh the one thing uh after the big 12 tournament the texas women will play in the venerable Irwin center duck Probably. we were we were there uh for, for the last games at the Irwin center the last men's games and we did a a great package shout out to our design team and our writers and i'm going to mention them by name uh, not n- including us, Danny Davis, Brian Davis, Rick Cantu, Thomas Jones, uh, our our editor Rich T Arena. He had some had some in there. Our uh, designers, Cat Cat Vasquez, our editor Randy Weatherly. Everybody played a role. Go to statesman.com and check out our memories of the Irwin Center. Wonderfully done. Wonderfully done. Before we get out of here, Duck, give me a couple of your favorite memories from the Irwin Center because you covered more games than any of us on our staff. Oh, man, you're really challenging me now. I like that memory where I talked to John Wooden after our media exhibition game and nice. asked him about, what do you think of our basketball skills? And he said, stick to your day job. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that was fun. But, you know, there were so many great games in there. More than any games, I remember the entertainment value that, that Abe Lemons and Tom Penders' team and Rick Barnes' teams brought to that arena. There were kind of happenings and events when they were rolling. And, you know, all three of them had it rolling at different times. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's never was a beloved place, you know, and it's funny, uh, I was talking to Ken Herman, uh, our former Metro columnist who's now retired, oh, and he said, he said, uh, well, who would have thought the Gregory Gym would, would stand longer than the Irwin Center, which Man, was a wow. thought, you know. Wow. And I think Texas is hoping to still play a game, or the women will at least play a game, maybe the men too, in the Gregory Gym, maybe not with the Moody Center. But mm-hmm. I love the, the when they had that environment over there. But uh, yeah, no, that I mean, was my that was my idea a couple of yeah. years ago, and they implemented it. I'll take credit for that. Oh, was that right? Yes, uh, that was my idea. I think, uh, but I mean, we saw this year with the Texas Tech game where they had 
6,000 or 7,000 Red Raider fans, the Bader game, the Kansas game, how electric that place could be. When, when things were popping and, and you had a good opponent in there, I mean, that's the problem. They didn't always draw for every opponent. You brought a good opponent in here. Uh, Wine chase. It could be jumping at times. But that, and I remember Bruce Springsteen concert where our whole sports staff showed up there. Nobody knew each other was going. We, ended up, we could have had a staff meeting there. There's one sports writer that wasn't there. Oh, okay. Where were you? I was, I was at work. I was at work that day. Oh, well, somebody's got to put the Yes, someone else had that. Someone had to make the donuts while everybody was dancing in the dark with Bruce, with the boss. Oh, yeah, that was that was fun time. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's your favorite memory. I know you love the state high school tournament and That's you it. wrote about it. You know. State high school basketball tournament was my introduction to local basketball in Austin. I got hired here in 99. I had been to a couple of women's uh, girls basketball, state basketball tournaments, but I had never gone to the boys until I got hired here. And I just remember how we rolled out the red carpet in our preview section, myself and Olin Buchanan, who was running the high school operation back then, our guy OB and a uh, big double truck, full two pages in, in the uh, middle of the section that broke down every team that was coming, uh, information about their cities, about their schools, uh, notable alumni, just great stuff, and the sheer talent to come through here, Duck, for that state tournament. I'll, I'll tell anyone who listen, it's still my favorite event to cover. Uh, I've been to Super Bowls, Final Fours, College World Series, MLB World Series. Give me the state basketball tournament mm-hmm. for sheer star power at this level. Chris Bosch, Kendrick Perkins, TJ Ford, uh, Willie Warren, Daniel Ewing, Ivan McFarland. Those are NBA guys. Darren Williams, Bracey Wright. Uh, Those are all stars that came through here as kids on their way to NBA careers. Shaquille O'Neal, of course, in 1989. Greg Ostertag. Uh, So it's a showcase. And and my heart still bleeds for it, Doug, now that it's no longer in Austin. And uh, the Irwin Center was the perfect venue for it because those four and five A schools would fill that place up. And um, I'll I'll never forget covering those games, uh, hanging out with the, uh, this is the part that we like that we don't always talk to our listeners about duck is when you go to these big events, you get to see the state writers, you know, Mm -hmm. you get to see guys from the morning news and the Houston Chronicle and the forward star telegram uh, because their team, San Antonio, their teams show up. And so it's always fun to chop it up with them as well. But that's what I'll remember most, uh, going to comedy club concerts, Cedric the Entertainer, Ricky Smiley. Uh, I took Bev to see um, First Lady Michelle Obama. Uh, mm-hmm. Surprised her with tickets for that when she was pro- uh, promoting her book a couple of years ago. We were 15 feet away from Michelle Obama. And um, the one thing that we don't talk about as much Shout out, Duck, to the people that run the show oh, great over staff. there. The great staff, Jamie Earl, who's retired, Liz Land, still over there. Those are the kind of people. The ushers have always been friendly. Yeah, Melanie, Bill on the scores table. They're yes. One of them. That, they are the best. Like uh, that that lady at the, at the bottom of the escalator, I don't even know her name. She, always, she always speaks. 
um, you know, those those are the people that made that place special. Mr. Marvin and his wife, I haven't seen them at the Urban Center this year, but I'm sure they're at the dish. They made that place feel very cozy. A big, a big cavernous gym felt felt like a, a person's living room because because of the staff over there. Leon, the security guard, yeah. always have fun with Leon. So that's those are the people that you'll miss. And you hope to see those people, those same people at the Moody Center when they move in next season. And you wish you wish the state high school tournament could come back too. It, it probably won't, but you know that that's a ten thousand seat arena. It could expand to fifteen thousand. And shout out to the Westlake Chaps going to for the state championship. How about that? Have could have a double basketball football. A state championship uh, that'd be pretty sweet wouldn't it not oh yeah great gr- that great house kid is a stud horse he is an amazing two-sport athlete uh the, sh- the chefs have a good chance um you know once you get there you get there you just gotta win know. two games absolutely you gotta you just gotta win two games and i talked to charles bright up a couple of years ago when it moved to san antonio to the alamo dome and they do a good job, Duck, at the dome of uh, get, getting people in, and 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 they've got a section of it cordoned off, and mm-hmm. it doesn't look like a gym, you know, because there's curtains, right. and that's fine because it's a gigantic place. You can't play a high school tournament in a forty thousand seat uh, football stadium, but um, they do a good job. The hotel prices are exorbitant because the South by Southwest. They're not interested in moving it, uh, moving it, uh, moving the date up to February because Charles told me, no, we want March madness. We don't want February madness. So, um, so those are the little issues. Um, I don't know how long it's going to be in San Antonio. I know last year was the last year, but they re-upped. I don't know what the new deal is, but I know there are places in Fort Worth and Houston uh, and Dallas that, that are very interested in this tournament. San Antonio is probably the best um, city choice because the hotels are never going to be overpriced in San Antonio uh, as they have been in Austin because South by, and of course, Dallas and Houston, those hotels are going to be a little higher priced because it's a bigger population. And speaking of some of the stars we saw like Shaquille O'Neal and some you mentioned was, was one Brittany Griner, who's uh, now being detained in Russia. Uh, free Britney, dog. Free Britney. Yeah, I'm telling you, I don't know if it was trumped up charges or not, but you know, Putin's going to do anything to his advantage and to embarrass the United States. So we wish her well and and uh, just want her to come home. Pray for come, her health and safety. Come home to your come home to your family, Britney. And uh, it's ugly right now in Eastern Europe. And this is a sports show, and it's not a political show, but. Uh, we we're not blind to what's going on in the world and um, prayers with the Ukraine fighting bravely over there prayers that, that any Americans, Brittany included that are over there that make it home. I wish she would have gotten the hell out of there before. I know there was still some games left in the season, but they took a break after February 1st. It was a two week break. The team that she plays for because five, the five FIBA games were going on. Right. And I guess she decided she'd stay because there were still some a couple of more games left after the tournament. I wish she could have gotten out then. I wish it would have been great because 
I think it's Diana Taurasi played on the same team with her. And, so. uh, and Diana is out. Yeah. So I, I, I would hope that they, by the, by this taping, hopefully Brittany's home, but she's facing up to 10 years in prison. Yeah, and they have, they have some very stiff rules against uh, drug use or whatever. She's alleged to have been in possession of hashish oil and a vape pen, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on a deeper note, Duck, there, there, there is a there is a well documented bias toward gay people in that part of the world in Russia and black people in Russia, and she is she is part of the LGBTQ community, and she's a black woman. So yeah. that doesn't that that's not helping her. Uh, so uh, I I just hope that she's okay and she can get back where she belongs in America. She's been over there. She's played in the, on that team for seven years, Doug. She yeah. makes a million dollars annually to play for that team. Yeah. I think it's a referendum that the WNBA has up its game and salaries uh, because uh, for, the, for these kids to go over there, you're risking your safety when you go over to a place like Russia where the political climate isn't the same as it is in America or in Spain or in the UK or somewhere like that or France. Russia is a different can of worms, and we're finding that out with Brittany. And our prayers go out to Brittany and her family. I was covering the uh, MLS Austin FC soccer game, and there's a huge Ukrainian flag in the supporters section uh, at Q2 Stadium on Sunday. So it's just kind of, you know, it's gripped the whole world. And I think the whole world is united in support for Ukrainians and just, you know, pray for their safety for the for that people that uh, being killed and forced from their homes so it's just a international uh folly it's, it's just i can't believe that you know this is still ongoing but this is real life this is real life as we know it we, we can just send our thoughts and prayers and donate to red cross and unicef and 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 try to do anything for humanitarian aid for those people well said my brother and we had a great time today on the podcast. We got we got to thank Steve Sarkeesian for joining us and giving us a little primer on spring football coming ready, up. Ready. Your favorite part of the year, Doug. Oh, Go yeah. ahead and admit it. Football. Admit it. Love spring football. Not. No, I'm not. But wow. a little taste of football is good. I like it. I like a, li- it. a little bit of football is better than no football <laughs> at all. Ain't that the truth? That'll do it for episode 252 of On Second Thought. For the Duck Kirk Bowles, I'm Sid Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Sid and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play. 